Yes, hello, it's Jason Louv. Welcome back to the Ultra Culture Podcast. My guest today is one of our all-time favorite guests, not only mine, but also the listeners, one of our most requested guests ever, Dr. Ralph Abraham, the mathematician and one of the inventors of chaos mathematics. Awesome guy, Professor Emeritus of Mathematics at University of California, Santa Cruz, where I went to school and first became aware of him. Here's a bit from his Wikipedia. Ralph Abraham has been involved in the development of dynamical systems theory since the 1960s and 1970s. He has been a consultant on chaos theory and its applications in numerous fields, such as medical physiology, ecology, mathematical economics, psychotherapy, etc. Another interest of Ralph Abraham's concerns alternative ways of expressing mathematics, for example, visually or orally. He has staged performances in which mathematics, visual arts, and music are combined into one presentation. Abraham developed an interest in HIP, quote-unquote, according to Wikipedia, HIP, in quotation marks, activities in Santa Cruz in the 1960s, and has a website gathering information on the topic. He credits his use of the psychedelic drug DMT for swerving his career toward a search for the connections between mathematics and the experience of the Logos. Awesome guy. Not mentioned in his Wikipedia. He is obviously super interested in psychedelics and also magic and the work of Dr. John Dee, which is something that we have talked about um, a lot. And he said lots of very encouraging things about uh, my John Dee book. We were corresponding a bit uh, about uh, the kind of my views on how Christian apocalypticism had shaped politics in America in that book. Uh, one of the closest guys to John D. you will actually find uh, alive today. Great guy, great conversation. We talked about his new mathematical modeling of extremism, and this was an unexpected conversation that went in a lot of unexpected directions, and you're going to dig it. So, before I turn you over to Ralph, Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. And I am working night and day now with basically next to no help. I am working night and day, um, improving the site, making it 2020s compatible, souping it up, creating new content. We have some uh, pretty interesting plans in the works, including new teachers. So keep an eye out for that. We will be announcing stuff very shortly. In the meantime, check it out. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. You can learn all kinds of great stuff there to impress your friends and relatives like chaos magic, astral projection, divination, my new system of binary magic. The We also have the now the greatest meditation course in my ever so humble opinion ever recorded, Mastering Meditation, which is on the site and teaches the Eightfold Path of Raja Yoga better than you're probably going to get it anywhere outside of uh, India or Indian gurus who might be here. Um, I'm, I stand by that statement. Magic.me, it's all there. Check it out. Magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. All right, here's Ralph. Okay. Thank you so much for, for being up for this. You're one of our most requested and favorite guests of all time. 
So I'm super happy to be talking to you again. Well, thank you so much. So, the interview we did before, I would say, is one of, one of the best. Uh, you're so good at this. Thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. What have you been well, up to since? Are you still in? Time. Are you still in Santa Cruz, or what have you been up to? Yes, I'm in Santa Cruz. Well, maybe I should maybe I should just ask, what has been occupying your ma- mind lately? What have you been focused on? Uh, yeah, well, I'm working on a book, and uh, this came out of my obsession with the news, I guess. Uh, I started watching the news more than usual about five years ago with the beginning of uh, the Trump trouble, and uh, I became more and more upset. So one thing that happened uh, had to do with the uh, anti-vax movement. And uh, this divided the country, divided the state, divided the city, and even divided my family. So Mm -hmm. for personal reasons, I got interested in the uh, the mechanics of this division. And I began uh, writing a book on schismogenesis. Uh, This is maybe about a year ago, I think I began, uh, I decided I was going to do a long article or a book trying to apply uh, mathematics, especially uh, topology and catastrophe theory uh, to this uh, division problem. And uh, then the, the problem escalated. So it was no longer just about um, vaccination uh, opinions, but also about uh, abortion, guns, and so on and so on. And the different divisions began to so kind of align. And so they're roughly the same people on one or the other side of each one of the divisions. So that's when I began thinking more about the mathematics and the underlying dynamics of, of this problem. So I started a book which is now nearly complete. And the target of the book was a moving target. You know, the problem kept escalating until finally it looks to me uh, something like the onset of civil war yes. or some catastrophic change in the organization of the United States uh, political system some catastrophe either was imminent or had already happened. And so I kept adding chapters to the book, you see, in order to try to keep up with this moving target. And um, one of the uh, chapters I was writing uh, is about the madness of crowns, which I kind of identified this uh, as one of a series of uh, religious manias that had uh, disturbed world cultural history for 500 years or something. And in uh, my basic reference work on the madness of crowds, I came across this reference to dispensationalism, or I could call it Darbyism uh, for short. Yes. And uh, it is at that point that I remembered your book, and uh, that you had introduced me to the idea that this uh, 
religious division had been affecting American history since the uh, pilgrims arrived. Uh, so at that point, I I wrote you asking, you know, what do you think? Yes, what's happening? I can't remember what I how I responded. Yeah, well, you responded with an invitation to talk it over in this format. Oh, right, right. Okay, <laughs> that's right. Okay, that's as far as we got with email. So, well, my my basic my basic point in that book was dispensationalism, Darbyism, and apocalypticism has been the dominant narrative on the right in America for a long time. And certainly surfaced um, in the 1980s with the threat of nuclear war, uh, with and most disturbingly with politicians like Reagan and Bush Jr. taking uh, biblical literal, you know, being biblical literalists. Uh, whether that still affects politics in America, I'm not exactly sure, uh, and that would be interesting. I think that Trumpism, in a way, represents a break from that because it's more about nationalism it's more about ethnic politics and uh not really about religion although certainly all of the religious dispensationalists threw their lot in with trump because he thought they thought he was their best bet to to continue to get their their agenda across and stay in power so there was definitely a deal with the devil made i think in that regard mike pence was certainly However, the most probably Christian literalist uh, politician ever to be in the White House. So, so that was happening as well. Um, although I finished that book right as Trump was being elected. And I haven't exactly, I think it's still too close to do a postmortem on it. Um, but I do think that there has been a marked break in the political, uh, of, of the politics in America on the right from evangelical religion to to ethnic nationalism for sure well yes so it's almost like um, two different dimensions uh, on the behavior side um, have um, become entwined and uh, that's uh, ethnic nationalism or racism and uh, dispensationalism. So <clears throat> there is some mechanism at work in uh, social dynamics, uh, <clears throat> which has coordinated these. Of course, one, one aspect is uh, Trump trying to, or Republicans in general, trying to attract more vo voters and making deals with the devils and so on. Um, there is another uh, factor. See, I'm trying to make a model, mathematical model, for this uh, phenomenon of divergence of opinion, uh, ending up in, in total division, uh, based on catastrophe theory, which is kind of a universal topological model for this kind of process. And it requires identifying causative factors and uh, behavioral results. So among uh, causative factors, what has emerged as uh, number one in my thinking is um, the, the rise and evolution of social media. So in social media, we have uh, two 
two effects. Well, the, the several important uh, factors, relatively new, which are disturbing the uh, global political dynamic. Um, one is the speed of diffusion of a novel idea across the entire network. Another is the uh, population of, of bots uh, rapidly increasing uh, just in the last couple of years. And uh, so another one is uh, disinformation, which means misinformation, which is uh, deliberately intended to deceive. So social scientists have been onto this, uh, as I recently discovered, and uh, kind of mapped out the the relative growth of these. And <clears throat> so the one effect of social media um, might be the support of this uh, bifurcation or catastrophe as, as it were uh, between um, nationalism and dispensationalism. So the um, alignment, the alignment of the different factors is driven by an artifact of social media. I'm not saying this is what it is. This is a question that I'm trying to explore <clears throat> through discovering uh, social science cliques that are devoted to such questions, uh, discovering and reading them online, and uh, <clears throat> thinking about my own history with, uh, with social media. So it's just another factor to take into account. And it could be a dominant one, just the speed factor. And one of my uh, reference books on civil wars uh, calls social media an accelerant. So all what we're seeing is the natural process, but somehow it has been accelerated and is now, because of social media, progressing so fast, the diffusion and transformation and recruitment of groups around an idea <clears throat> is now so fast that we, uh, as humans, can't even follow it. Yeah. We need our own army of bots in order to plot out what's happening. And ironically, these uh, social scientists are busy making bots <laughs> to do experiments yeah. on, online. It's, uh, uh, from the technical point of view, a very uh, exciting time and, and amusing and interesting phenomenon to watch. But as far as what's happening on the ground, I am really uh, petrified as what's happening to American politics and uh, very afraid that we're going to lose uh, democracy. And there may be even no, no escape in terms of moving to some other country because it's actually a global phenomenon, perhaps, accelerating most rapidly in the United States because of the exceptional popularity of Facebook and Twitter in, in the United States. It seems to me that that's super, that's super fascinating. It seems to me that um, in terms of things that are quantifiable that could be worked into that, a, a major one would just be demographic numbers because it, it seems to me that one of the biggest anxieties that has driven people to vote for Trump uh, is, the, you know, an underlying anxiety there is the fact that white people will be a minority in America by 2050. And so 
it seems like the, the shifting demographic balance would, would definitely be a factor. Yes, and that's a factor which obviously is accelerated by social media. So where are you at now with the the theory? You're still working on it? Um, yeah, um, the, the writing of the uh, rough first draft is almost finished. I'm just working on the mathematical model. Now I have selected the uh, made the important decisions as far as the variables which will be resent, represented. And um, they are uh, fractionalization or the uh, tendency of new factors, uh, factions to um, evolve within the, the two parties. And social scientists have a measure of this or uh, their data I can find online in order to utilize in my model for uh, factions. And um, another one is uh, <clears throat> one of many measures that could be chosen uh, to represent as proxy the diffusivity of social media. And I'm taking there <clears throat> the simplest uh, statistic, which is the total penetration of, of uh, global media into the uh, world human population. And here again, I have <clears throat> very good numbers online. Those are the so-called control parameters in my model. And uh, <clears throat> for behavior, I have uh, decided just lately to adopt political violence in the United States. Mm. And uh, there, there's a, a very useful measure, amazing measure that just emerged in the last couple of days after <clears throat> the uh, attack on Paul Pelosi, when the news media were broadcasting this data, <clears throat> broadcasting data on the number of threats received by members of the US Congress. So the Capitol Police have been accumulating this number because if a member of Congress receives a threat, they immediately notify the Capitol Police, which has the responsibility to evaluate the threat and see if it's worth sending a team out to intercept or intervene uh, in the threat situation. And uh, so the Capitol Police have been broadcasting this number since uh, 2016. So throughout the uh, Trump years, we have these numbers of threats reported by members of Congress to the Capitol Police, and they have increased uh, tenfold from 900 per year to 9,000 per year. Wow. And uh, the increase is uh, not linear, but let's say approximately linear. So you could uh, kind of project it in, into the future if you wanted to. <clears throat> and uh, so that I'm taking as the behavior variable. In other words, the uh, social media accelerate uh, process uh, inherent in faction, factionalization of um, coalescing into discrete groups in opinion space, let's say, with uh, increasing uh, 
blank space in between the uh, populations of uh, believers of these different philosophies. And, and then the result of this distance is uh, increase of political violence, as, as we have seen. There is a precipitation from political violence into everyday ordinary violence, as we have seen in Santa Cruz, where I live, which is a small, sleepy beach community on the periphery of the highly technical San Francisco Bay Area. And we have seen the violence in the streets, especially stabbings and shootings and home invasions, uh, increasing also by a factor of 10 over the same time period. So there's some kind of a precipitation from the political process, or at least uh, contemporaneous, uh, coordinated with political process in which the whole uh, culture, American culture, and perhaps uh, global uh, world cultural history um, in the increase of violence and uh, what Obama calls the, the uh, decrease of civility. So we have civility and violent access, which obtains on every level, like uh, road rage, local crime, uh, drug crime, school shootings, and so on. All these things that are on the upsweep at approximately the same rate are somehow uh, synchronized. Somehow, and perhaps because of social media. Social media is a global, it's extremely rapid, and uh, its effect is very similar to uh, broadcast news. But increasingly, people are not watching broadcast news or reading newspapers as much as they are following news on social media, which is propagated not by any kind of broadcasting, but just uh, by the diffusion process in which uh, an idea which attracts more rapidly uh, posters or re-posters among the, the nodes of this gigantic neural network, which is uh, hmm. social media. Uh, <clears throat> this mechanism tends to <clears throat> co coordinate these different social functions. So it coalesces into kind of a, an avalanche of world cultural history toward the train wreck. Hmm. I have a, I have a, uh, I have one quite like this is, this is super fast. I have one question, which is, does there appear to be correlation in upticks of violence with actual news events or political events occurring in the real world? Or is it just a function of spread of social media? Meaning, are people completely disconnected? Is this still connected to actual events? Or is it just people responding to social media itself? Maybe this is uh, <clears throat> just a private opinion of mine. <clears throat> um, but for the uh, increase of violence and the coordination of uh, different aspects of violence, I, I see uh, Trump in the center. Uh, for example, right at the beginning 
either in his campaign or the early part of his uh, presidency. Uh, he was asking his adherents to physically attack protesters or people who disagree. So an increase of violence was intentionally introduced into the natural evolution of things. Um, over and over again, Trump said, I'd like to smash him in the face, uh, take him out, beat him up, uh, lock her up, uh, hang her, uh, hang him, and and so on has been uh, a, a litany in uh, public speeches and presentations uh, reported by the broadcast media and uh, also commented uh, extensively on, on social media in which until very recently, uh, Trump has been hyperactive on Twitter and uh, soon maybe, maybe again Probably his influence will never be uh, what it was during the four years of his presidency. Uh, but certainly that is the one of several factors that distinguishes the United States from other countries and their political histories. Did you follow the recent uh, controversy with Kanye West? Uh, well, yes. Uh, I'm uh, Jewish, so of course I... I've been very sensitive to the news about the increase of anti-Semitism. And uh, uh, the, the racism against African-Americans is, uh, is of, of course, the worst and has been a dominant feature of American politics since uh, day one. And uh, we thought great progress was made in the 1960s with the Civil Rights Act and so on. And it was great progress, and now uh, we see actually a kind of subsistence, uh, a retrograde motion on that front, or at least more and more of the reality of racism in America has been revealed in in the media and uh, in in daily news. So. Um, I think the United States is, it has these uh, unique factors. The basis in uh, slavery, the uh, original um, religious slant toward dispensationalism, and uh, also the leading the world in uh, uh, growth in the population of the smart media adherents. So, uh, according to this view, which uh, I'm not a historian, a political scientist, or anything like that, I'm only <clears throat> reading and following a publication on the World Wide Web uh, because of wanting to inject some mathematical insight into our historical process. But uh, according to this view, anyway, if America is leading in these uh, various factors which are fundamental to the political dynamic, that means that uh, other countries will be following a similar uh, trajectory as they subscribe increasingly to social media uh, due to the uh, explosive popularity 
of cell phones. Um, and uh, we see uh, in current events uh, some of this uh, taking place as a sequelae of uh, American history in the UK, in France, and Germany, and Israel, and, and, and so on, maybe in Eastern Europe as well. So fascism on, on, on the rise, um, a question that experts will have to discuss. I can't go further than I have about the role of social media in this uh, advance of fascism worldwide. Um, these are questions uh, to be addressed by experts. I have seen some suggestions from uh, political scientists studying social media that uh, if there is a way to introduce friction to the diffusion of information in social media, uh, for example, by putting a tax on reposting, <clears throat> adding friction would slow down social media and whereas that will be uh, anathema to uh, corporate and big business users of internet advertising. It might be uh, one of several ideas that might be tried experimentally, say in smaller, in smaller countries that are, are sensitive to this dynamic, uh, like Iceland, for example, or Norway, um, or Israel, perhaps or even in the Ukraine, if it survives. There might be some way out. Otherwise, if it's just up to Elon Musk and other multi-billionaires who can control the decisions of the social media platforms, uh, then I'm afraid the disaster is inescapable. Hmm. One, one, one question that I have and I've been thinking about this recently, is considering this on total world historical timeline, it seems, my question is, is this different from previous periods of history in the sense that it seems like each new communication technology brings with it political turmoil automatically? And the, the point that I considered recently was the printing press gave us the 30 years war and, and the 100 years war, and it could be argued that uh, radio uh, it played a big part in, and film also played a big part in the rise of fascism in the, in the, in the 20th century. So is social media different in that or like unique within history in that sense? No, I, I agree with you. Social media is more of the same. So your radio <clears throat> has only been with us for a hundred years or so. <clears throat> And uh, the internet uh, started about you know, roughly 50, 60 years ago. <clears throat> Somehow the uh, timeline of technical advances is uh, accelerating so that the interview between uh, catastrophic introductions of new media, of new technology is, uh, is decreasing to the point that we can no longer respond or try to control um, the, the bad effects of, of the technology. We had uh, the, the internet um, 19, 
60s, the um, email got started in 1980, uh, the World Wide Web, 1990, and uh, social media just in these past few years. And <clears throat> new technologies emerging in cyberspace are difficult to analyze or detect. Like we didn't see social media coming. We thought it was gonna be the greatest thing for the spread of good ideas. <clears throat> and so there are already new technologies which we are highly aware of, like uh, maybe uh, DNA-based, uh, um, virus-based, uh, cyber war, bioweapon-based technologies <clears throat> that are deployed, new technologies are emerging, <clears throat> which are only uh, discovered or, or, or seen, observed by um, <clears throat> specialists who are uh, considered uh, off the edge of official science or engineering. <clears throat> so people who are experimenting with uh, um, devious technologies and uh, other similar people who are watching and, and observing. And some of these will eventually uh, work and, and have an effect and be deployed on a massive scale and only then too late will we realize what's happened. For example, social media cannot be, we cannot rewind history and start off on a different track. And even if the speed of diffusion of social media could be mitigated on the level of the major corporations controlling big platforms, there still will be the dark web, as it were, the uh, experimental domain of of uh, bad, bad technologies. Maybe this is uh, too paranoid. I don't know, but we we never visualized, never imagined the uh, use of the dark web in terms of uh, pornography and drug distribution, mm -hmm. human trafficking, or whatever. <clears throat> the balance between the good and the evil aspects of cyberspace, of social media, and the World Wide Web, <clears throat> tipping, 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 with, uh, I mean, crime is more, has a more rapid evolution. So the scale is always tipping as the evil applications, the same with with mathematics and, and, and uh, theoretical physics and so on. <clears throat> Look at uh, nuclear winter scenarios that we still are suffering. Once the genie is out of the bottle, it's hard to stuff it back in again. So we have in uh, cyberspace, we have 
dangers never imagined, which are on rapid growth scale uh, right now. And we'll see as uh, cyber warfare uh, develops. Yeah. So clever. Uh, the the uh, engineers are in devising maleficent. Yeah, it, seem, it seems to me that kind of the I think you touched on this it seems to me the next frontier is probably biotechnology and the merging of biotechnology with information technology I was talking to somebody recently an engineer who was saying that the next they, they've gotten chips so chips are so advanced now that the next step for chip design is putting human genetic material in them to encode information directly into DNA within a computer chip, which is interesting. But there's a lot of frightening things on the horizon there. I, I think one of the scariest things for me is the potential combination of um, genetically targeted bioweapons with ethno-nationalism. And that that would be a nightmare scenario. Um but also in terms of social media, uh, you know, Elon Musk is talking about Neuralink. There seems to be at least some type of push to integrate the internet with, within our own minds, or at the very least, uh, maybe glasses uh, uh, worn internet access. The idea of the internet becoming less something that you look at a screen and more that's just ubiquitous within our environment. Everything's connected to the internet. There's projected information everywhere. And I noticed certainly with younger people um, in their 20s, they all only use phones. They don't have desktop computers. They don't really even have laptops, which is crazy to me. But that seems to follow, you mentioned, the spread of the internet around the world uh, is is on mobile phones. Um and that, that, that seems to be the current medium. But I think the mobile the, the mobile phone will probably be phased out into something that is more um, either integrated with the human body or just and or just ubiquitous within the environment, at which point there'll be, you know, reality will be not the same. And we're also with artificial intelligence now seeing the generation of video and images that uh, often are indistinguishable from reality or or, or from things that people have created, I think that artificial intelligence, as it as it evolves, will not only change the future, but will change the past because it'll change all of our media, our representations of the past. Um, you know, things will be colorized, things will be up up upscaled into four K. Uh, our perception of the past will constantly be changed by technology as well. So we'll be marooned with no connection to a, a world outside of technological interference. I, Maybe that's always how it's been. I don't know. Well, I think that's right. It's it's already underway. The dangerous effects of AI already evident in social media, smart media, because um, uh, the, the bots are manifestations of AI in uh, imitating human behavior. Um, with the uh, better and better uh, realism. So it's <clears throat> social scientists are able to count the number of bots on social media um, by deploying bots of their own that can detect, uh, but, but harder and harder to detect the difference between a bot and a human. 
uh, like the Glenn Norman test. I'm sorry, the Turing test. Mm -hmm. So, um, AI is already just through social media, uh, just as manifest in mobile phones around the world, already blurring the boundary between uh, fact and fiction. In fact, there may not be any boundary between fact and fiction. We can never tell when we get information online, whether it's uh, uh, fact checking is so difficult. So there are professional fact checkers out there still giving us some kind of estimate on the balance between information and misinformation on social media. But uh, it's increasingly difficult to tell, as you mentioned, with these photos and uh, vi videos that are so realistic, it's, it's hard to, uh, to discover that they are, in fact, fictitious. So it's, uh, it's already underway, and I don't know if anybody is watching uh, what kind of bots. I mean, bots are, they're, they're bot kits, right? Anybody with a, a mobile phone somewhere in Africa or wherever hmm. can design bots and de deploy them by the thousands yeah. on, on smart media. Um, on the other hand, it seems to me that artificial intelligence is possibly the only Hail Mary pass with content curation. And that seems to be the, um, that seems to be where the big social media companies are are going when and when Mark Zuckerberg was, you know, t was testifying before Congress, he was saying that you know they're they're trying to work on artificial intelligence that can stop, for instance, the spread of hate hate speech or calls to violence, uh, but they, they they just haven't been able to get uh, they haven't been able to produce it yet. That, that you know that's they may be lying they they may i think it's probably pretty pretty easy to design a system that does that just based on certain keywords but um and and they do prop they do prop like for instance facebook profits from the spread of uh hateful material but because it just spreads so much more quickly so what's going on there i don't know but it, it does seem to me that artificial intelligence is the only way to maintain any modicum of civility because we're, we're, the world has never been instantaneously connected in this way before. And people are people. And people change and have different moods from moment to moment. There are a million different people throughout their lifetime. And often people can have bad moments and hateful moments. And um, so I don't, but I don't think it's possible for human beings to curate that much information, it would have to be done by artificial intelligence. And it seems to me that that's the only, that's the only option at the moment. Well, option it is, but, uh, as you say, humans are humans. <clears throat> so, uh, I think the social scientists have, uh, figured out and have measured, um, the preference of humans for misinformation. So, mm -hmm. Um, hate speech is more popular than uh, loving messages uh, like we 
rarely see good news in new news media. Um, you know, the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Guardian. I mean, obviously they have to attract uh, viewers and uh, bank, bank robberies and um, nuclear tests and, and so on are just uh, way more popular than so many good things that are happening. So um, bots that can be helpful will be engineered and created, but will they be used? I think they may be used a little bit in order to show mm -hmm. an effort to comply with uh, governmental regulations. Um, but because of human appetites, that uh, this tilt toward evil is just destined to continue on and on. Maybe I'm, you know, in the 1960s, we, we had our hopes that uh, psychedelics would create um, a breakthrough in, in morality and uh, um, like uh, the Beatles, all you need is love, love, love. So it didn't work out that way. And uh, uh, the trend is bad, but the the hope uh, the hope that I have is <clears throat> for uh, basically what you could call a miracle. And then a coming generation just now being born will have a, an extra mutation, which is uh, beneficial to a peaceful and loving society worldwide. We need a new kind of human, and that is actually possible. And I think we wouldn't be here today without the several miracles, which are part of our world cultural history. Mm. So, in other words, hope is for magic, uh, and certainly not for technology or politics. We need uh, the birthing of a new humanity. Uh, otherwise, the human experiment on planet Earth probably will come to an end. In fact, the destruction of the biosphere is now so far that we can never recover. What would that new humanity look like, do you think? Look exactly the same and behave differently. And, and uh, maybe, maybe psychedelics will still, I mean, psychedelics is a kind of a, a bioweapon for the betterment of human society. So the fact that uh, psychedelics are increasingly legalized around the world might have a beneficial effect, might precipitate a miracle, um, or be related to one anyway. That would be great. I don't know. I'm obviously in a, I'm in a black mood at the moment. Uh, I, I, I have been for a long time. I, I think everyone is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One, one thing that did you, did you follow oh. the, the Facebook whistleblower recently? There was a woman that worked for Facebook that uh -huh. came out. I, it was interesting. There, it was a woman who worked for Facebook, and she came out. It was after the congressional hearings and gave, you know, at least testimony that they that Facebook intentionally allows, uh, you know, uh, 
the worst types of speech to spread often because it's just more profitable and, and spreads faster. But one of the things that she said that was really disturbing is that they've noticed that what's happening is, and I'm sure this this place, maybe this could be modeled with, with, with your model, um, with your formula. What's, she said that what's happening is that as people become more and more polarized around the world and become more and more extreme in, in each direction, that the politicians in countries are forced to adopt their policies to those extreme opinions in order to get reelected. So that at that point, the, the, and this is a worldwide phenomenon, it's not just the US, it's a worldwide phenomenon. So it, at that point, you know, politics is downstream of social media, which is, which is a frightening thought. Well, I think she's very wise. That seems to be what's happening. And uh, there are so many people uh, working in these companies and there are relatively few whistleblowers. So whistleblowers should somehow be rewarded because that's uh, a huge uh, step in a positive direction is to identify these dynamics which are at work in uh, corporate headquarters around the world. So uh, I think there's still some room for optimism. Um, the future is not ours to see. But it's very difficult to think of anything one can do as an individual to improve the situation other than, as they say, going out and voting. So what I'm doing is a very long shot of proposing uh, mathematical tools for better understanding of the dynamics underway. And this um, is all I can do because I'm a mathematician and nothing else. I don't know history, I don't know political science, but in trying to apply mathematics to history or political science, uh, I have to do my best to read up a little bit, some basic books, and proceed as far as I can. This is the, the idea of my book on schismogenesis. And uh, it's all I can do, but it's also quite hopeless uh, because there is hardly anyone around who can read mathematics or is willing to try um, to read any um, book or article with the word mathematics associated um, is probably not going to have, have a great effect, even among mathematicians. Uh, we've seen this over the years. I have complained uh, in writing about the misuse of mathematics, and mathematics seems to be more successfully misused uh, than used. For example, uh, the IPCC, the Climate Committee of the United Nations, uh, frequently publishes uh, graphs which are produced by mathematical models uh, which because of chaos theory we know can only uh, predict according to uh, the information that's put into the model. And so a practically any graph can be created which pretends to be, which, which is the result of a mathematical model, 
but mathematical models, because of what we know from chaos theory, cannot be predictive in any kind of long run. They only provide a kind of a gymnasium for exercising your intelligence in uh, complex systems. We're living in a very large and uh, complicated dynamical system, and mathematics is one way to just get a tiny edge in understanding it. And you can train your brain to be better at understanding complex dynamical systems. But using mathematics, you cannot predict anything in the long run. So the idea of the, uh, the world's oceans rising 200 feet in the next 20 years or something like that is uh, uh, to- total baloney, as they huh. say. So the, 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 so you're saying that could, that could go any way. There's no way to there's no way to model global warming. That's right. Huh. And uh, I, I I do think global warming is going to continue, and it might stop, and and it might even eventually be reversed. Uh, but there's no way to tell on the basis of mathematics what is going to happen, or on the basis of theoretical physics or geoengineering or something like that. Any effort to intervene in the dynamics through uh, geoengineering or something is bound to produce a totally unpredicted result, like uh, social media produce a totally unpredicted result. And the unpredicted results keep on developing faster and faster. It be a challenge yeah, for we, people. We talked about that in the people. last, I remember we talked about that in the last podcast. You said that, that the mathematical prediction was impossible and I never heard that before and it was actually I was actually really excited about that because it suggested that the world cannot be controlled by predictive modeling which was it particularly in a world that's going more and more towards uh, you know AI assisted social engineering and that and that type of thing was was very hopeful for me and also very funny um, particularly when you think about financial traders trying to model markets but with that said I'm curious about I mean, a lot has happened since we last talked. There have been a lot of, you know, black swan events that I think nobody, well, not nobody, but, you know, people could have predicted a global pandemic. People could have predicted Putin, uh, you know, starting a war. Um, Perhaps they could have even predicted Trump. Um, But these were all maybes out on the periphery, and now they've all occurred. And so we've gone through some major um, on you know, major events that have transformed society almost overnight. And we live in a, and, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are on that from a mathematical perspective. Um, mathematical perspective doesn't uh, get you very far in predicting the future. Um, the uh, stock market trades based on mathematical models uh, can actually work to some extent because the mathematical models are predictive in the very short term. It's only in the long term that uh, chaos obscures our vision of the future. So um, the um, black swan events, of course, will continue to be unpredicted and surprising and sometimes even benevolent, uh, as for example, uh, green energy 
like uh, hydrogen power as a very, very optimistic or some kind of clean nuclear technology like Tokamak or uh, you know, fusion machines. Maybe we'll read in the newspaper tomorrow that a fusion machine at Princeton or in Israel or somewhere has been successful. So <clears throat> the, um, the underlying dynamic, I think the, the fire that heats up the dynamics uh, in evolution all over the planet is the population explosion. And um, leveling off of the exponential growth of human population on the planet would be the most uh, benevolent thing for the future. And I see hardly any hope in that direction, although experts predict that in 50 years or something, it will uh, top out and start declining. In that case, people will have to figure out how to handle the decline. Hmm. That's not very long from now. Oh, no, it's not very long from now. And uh, I don't know what the future calls, but I, I think the improvement of the world situation requires, uh, first of all, an intent, um, intent on the part of the human population, uh, the, the global polity, uh, intention and uh, uh, goodwill and a willingness to sacrifice grip of uh, capitalism on the, the planet's economy um, is a factor that can be addressed best by intentions of a large group of people that wanted change. Uh, the climate catastrophe, the climate emergency is uh, presently our, our best hope for a change of intention worldwide and we already see some 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 countries that are striving in in good directions like iceland or uh, canada or australia new zealand i i don't know um, there's 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 hopes that human nature will evolve that's the the only hope because the uh the evil stuff the running amok is going faster and faster, and uh, human consciousness is uh, changing only very slowly. So uh, a, a new development in uh, technology, or more likely some kind of evolutionary leap in terms of the moral sense, the morality of a large uh, population, subpopulation on the planet. Um, this was necessary. I mean, the problems are caused by humans and only can be changed by some sort of change in human nature. This has, of course, been the, the goal of various movements. I don't know, like uh, John D. <laughs> and uh, Crowley and uh, so many uh, magicians, theosophists, uh, uh, do good uh, scholarly societies like the General Evolution Research Group, 
Religious Mind Fellowship and so on. So many uh, efforts of well-meaning and highly intelligent and, and educated people have uh, struggled and made proposals and, and fizzled away because of a lack of interest to the people who really hold the power. So uh, we could hope for a 65 billionaires <laughs> with um, morality. We wanted to do ultimate good on the planet, something like that. It's not impossible. Well, from at least, you know, in terms of from my perspective, where I'm sitting, what I've, the conclusions that I've come to about what is possible, I, I, I will say that I think in terms of the efforts of, of the efforts of the magicians, I wouldn't necessarily say that they fizzled. I think that um, if you just look on a longer time scale, they've been tremendously effective. Tremendously, if you think about the, the change that has been caused by just a few people over decades. And, and you know, from where, where I'm sitting, Matt, the idea of magic is vastly more popular now than in the 90s or the 2000s. And I think the ability for my 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 overarching interest right now in my life is using these same technologies, trying to harness them, whether it's artificial intelligence or social media information technology to spread those messages and, and to master those technologies and turn them, reverse them and turn them around and use them to spread uh, the, the messages that at least I'm interested in, in spreading, which are in line with what you were just talking about. So I, I think that in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, all this information technology is kind of like people discovering fire for the first time. And the the question is, you know, is it only going, going to be a minority of people that have access to the tool or, or not? And, you know, in, at least for myself, I'm interested in learning how to use fire. Yes. Well, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, that in the long run, if we have a long run, then uh, technologies or methods of betterment that are already established can continue to have um, beneficial effect, reinforcing each other. So magic plus psychedelics plus meditation or uh, meditative technologies, advances in consciousness, uh, work of uh, artists, and uh, most especially the rise of women worldwide. Uh, these uh, things in, in combination can really give hope in, in the long run. And all the things that I'm afraid of are uh, short-term effects, I think, uh, mostly, yes, like petroleum, energy sources definitely on the way out. Uh, who would have predicted that, that we knew about uh, solar power many years ago? But uh, dangerous chemicals like Roundup are still in use worldwide, despite the fact that everybody knows how dangerous they are. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of a fight between the moral advance and the economic situation. 
capitalism, greed in general. Uh, this is, I guess, the angels and devils contest. <laughs> Uh, good versus evil is the, the big war going on. And uh, which way we are going depends on what you're watching mm. and what you're listening to, yeah. I guess. <laughs> so probably I've been too too affected by the news uh, re recently. And I should spend less time watching news and more time in meditation. <laughs> I think uh, I'll take that as a carry, carry away from this conversation. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I'm hopeful overall. I have to be, and I think, but the only thing that, the thing that makes me hopeful is just looking on a longer time scale. And, and the thing that I think about, you know, it seems right, right, like it seems right now that all of the advances in the 60s are being un, undone, that you know, the idea of even democracy itself could be undone. The idea of the, the ideas of the enlightenment could be undone maybe. Um, but you know, there's, there's always, you know, in the movie, the, the bad guys always close in, in the movie and there's always a time when it looks helpless before the hero wins. And I also think on a, on a long enough time scale, I mean, you just think about like the spread of Christianity or it took 300 years for it to really get off the ground. And in the meantime, everyone was being persecuted and so on and so forth. And, and so I, th I do think that because of social media and just because of information technology, that we're just going to be seeing all of, like, we're just going to be seeing the same cycles of world history, but played out on a much, much faster time scale. Like I think you were saying similar in the ways to, for instance, the cryptocurrency markets move generally in the same patterns as the main financial markets, but just way faster because they're global and traded 24 seven. Um, I think it's kind of a similar effect with, with everything else, but it's the same basic cycles, just much, much faster and, and perhaps oscillating as well, uh, faster. Um, I don't know if that's the right mathematical term, but I think, you know what I mean? So I, I think that, you know, th there's always, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but perhaps in only in the long term. <laughs> longer, longer, maybe than I'll be alive. I don't know. So there's that. Yeah. Well, I, I thank you for that. I'm uh, truly affected by your optimism, and uh, I, I feel overall uplifted by our conversation. And I really admire the work you're doing, which uh, does you. benefit the global population and in the long term future. And uh, I've seen your dog in the video. You have a very beautiful dog. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and I do too. I think um, I've learned more from my dog than uh, anything else about uh, um, the, the good side of the future and the possibility for um, nature, natural evolution. Uh, and, and biohistory of uh, planet Earth has uh, provided such a stable platform of uh, beneficence that I can't imagine that a, a rampant rogue human population can actually do it in. However, the, the damage already done 
uh, more than half of the biosphere has really suffered um, extinction by uh, humans taking over, and, you know, uh, through greed, uh, the Amazon forest and all the habitats of animals and quite a part or in addition to global climate warming doing uh, destructive uh, work on the biosphere which cannot be reversed. So I think the the idea of an optimism, optimism in the long run requires a adjustment of the idea of the long run and how long a run uh, we can actually have without uh, dramatic change of human nature, economic and political organization of, uh, of world culture. There you have it. Okay. Well, that was, thank you. That was very, uh, that was very nice comments you made. Thank you. I, I think I am um, more cheery because I got a dog. He's, he's a new puppy, but you know, every, every morning I wake up and he's just smiling yeah. at me and doing his antics. So I think that helps. <laughs> yes. Love. I mean, they, they are, uh, they, they teach us about love, what it really is and how easy it is. So where is it you're, you're living now? Uh, I moved to Austin, Texas. You were in LA, I think. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm in Austin now. It's 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 nicer and than do you LA. Like it there. I do. Yeah. So far. Yeah. It's. I mean, LA was truly apocalyptic before I left. With, you know, the crime and fires and madness. You know? Yeah. So I don't know how Santa <laughs> Cruz is. I, I I think San Francisco was pretty bad there. Uh, but Austin's pretty pretty calm, a lot of nature, you know. So uh, yeah, yes, there's. All right. Well, thank you, thank you again for talking, and I hope to talk to you again soon on uh, on the show. And I'm looking forward to your uh, book. That would be my pleasure. When when will people be able to get your uh, get your book, or should they just watch your website? Uh, yes, I'll announce on uh, Facebook, which I use for announcing books. Um, uh, and on my website, um, I have to decide between self-publishing and a real publisher. And uh, so far, my last 10 books or so have all been self-published. And I have self-publishing uh, wired, but uh, sales are very slow. I just accept that. Uh, the thing, if I go with a, a regular publisher, then the delay between finishing the manuscript and actually the appearance of the book. There's something like a, a year or more. Uh, and I'm maybe in a hurry to at least get a first draft out uh, by self-publication. And that would be uh, pretty soon, certainly before the first of the year. Great. So I'll, uh, I'll let you know, or I'll send you a copy. If I oh, yes, please. Yeah, I mean, we can do uh, another podcast. I very much need to... Uh, feedback and a uh, few people will read it and even fewer give me feedback. I'm super interested. I'm, I'm, uh, so it sounds really, it sounds we'll very important. Soon. It sounds like very important work. I'm super interested and, and I can't wait to, to read it when it's out. Great. Thank you very much. I'm okay. encouraged. All right. Thank you. Thank you again, Ralph, for, 
being on and for all the you, you, you said nice things. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. My, my pleasure. I really I do appreciate you. Ciao. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.